hear this story from the 37th chapter of Genesis. Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to the father. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age, and he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. Then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. He had another dream and told it to his brother, saying, Look, I have had another dream. The sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his, to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What kind of dream is this that you have had? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and your brothers, and bow down to the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. He answered them, Here I am. So he said to them, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring word back to me. When the brothers see Joseph coming, they say to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Labor Day, my family came over for lunch, and we were eagerly awaiting my sister's arrival because she was bringing dessert, a homemade apple pie. When she walked through the door with the pie, I took one look at it and said, What happened? To which my father said under his breath to me, That was real smooth, Dinah. (laughs) My sister, who is ordinarily a master in the kitchen, brought a pie that was flat. The crust was dark brown. And when we started to take it out of the pan, it just crumbled into pieces. It was hard to decide what exactly had happened to the pie, but it was easy to see that it was not right. You know, I get the same feeling when I read this scripture passage in the 37th chapter of Genesis. It's hard to see what has happened, but it's easy to see that things are not right. I know that this is the word of the Lord, that this is holy scripture, and my response is to be, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, but instead... My response feels like, what happens here? This is God's chosen people. This is God's chosen family. Jacob, Jacob, he should know better than to choose favorites. He should know what that does to family dynamics, 
when you pick a favorite, he should know that that incites sibling rivalry. And Joseph, Joseph is a tattletale. The scripture immediately tells us that he comes back to his father with a bad report on his brothers. And the scripture also tells us that Joseph appears to be a bit of a spoiled brat, prancing around in a robe that's fit only for royalty and repeating, reciting these dreams to his brothers that they can only interpret as meaning that he's important and grander than they are. And what of the brothers? What of this lot? Several times in the scripture passage, we hear that they hate him. They hate him so much that they can't even speak shalom. They cannot even speak peaceably to him. And Reuben, well, we might be, we might pull for Reuben because Reuben devises a plan to save Joseph's life. But what we remember about Reuben from just a few chapters earlier is that Reuben tried to take the authority of the family from his father by taking his father's concubine. And so Jacob is not happy with Reuben. And this may just be Reuben's attempt to restore his father's favor upon him. And what about Judah? Oh, Judah. Judah devises a plan that will save Joseph, but really just rid the brothers of the irritation of Joseph, and they'll make a little money on the side when they sell him to the Ishmaelites. Well, depending on what version of Scripture you pick up, we don't know exactly what happens when Joseph is thrown into the pit by his brothers. But I like the NRSV that says that Joseph's brothers throw him in a pit, then they go off and enjoy a feast together, and while they are away enjoying a feast, the Midianites come by, and the Midianites take him out of the pit, and they sell him to the Ishmaelites, who then take Joseph to Egypt and sell him into slavery in Potiphar's house. And if that's the way it works, then Joseph's brothers have no clue about where he is, and they don't profit over the situation either. This situation in Genesis chapter 37 is just a mess. And it leads me to want to do something that a very wise man tells me never to do in any situation. But he's not here this morning. And I know that you're not a tattletale, so let's do it. I want to place the blame. I want to figure out exactly who's to blame for this mess. Because I can't see it at first glance. But you know, when you look deeper... When you look a little deeper into the situation, I think you see it. The blame is the fault of the dream, is it not? Things are going along swimmingly until the dream arrives upon the scene, and then it all becomes a mess. Now, I wouldn't say that this is one big happy family, but it's one big settled family before the dream comes. And isn't that true in our lives as well? Isn't it true that the dream so often brings trouble? It's true that this this occurs for most people in marriage. It's the first year of marriage, isn't it, for so many of us that is the most difficult, that is the most troubled. It's the first few months of a job that are the most difficult. It's the first year after a child is born that brings the most adjustment, the most struggle. It's the dream that seems to cause problems. 
Well, there is something unusual about the story of Joseph in Genesis. The story of Joseph in Genesis, God never appears. God never speaks directly to Joseph. God, the creator who beginning in Genesis chapter 1, speaks the world into existence and continues to speak to the forefathers of the faith, does not speak to Joseph. But Joseph dreams. And I like what Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says about Joseph's dreams. Walter Brueggemann says, of course Joseph dreams. That's what this people is called to do. The dream is the unsettling work of Yahweh upon which everything else depends. Joseph is, in fact, the not, not the first to dream in Genesis. Jacob has a dream of a ladder and angels ascending and descending. Later on in the Old Testament, Ezekiel has a dream of a valley of dry bones that rise up and put on flesh. And Jesus' father, Joseph, has a dream in the Gospels that lead him to carry his family to safety in Egypt. And Peter has a dream. Peter has a dream that leads him to embrace Cornelius and the other Gentiles. And John has a dream that we have made our scripture, the book of Revelation. Dreams and vision Visions are a part of what it is to be God's people and to pay attention to the way God is revealing God's self in our world. I have often heard it said that God works the night shift, and I believe that that is in fact true. But I also know that my ego stays up pretty late working, and so when I have a dream that it is the end of the semester, and I am registered for a course that I never went to, (laughs) and it's time for grades to come out, that's not God, that's me. When I have a dream that I show up at school in my underwear, that's not God, that's me. (laughs) When I have a dream like I did this week, that my father-in-law has lost his horse, and it was me that forgot to lock the gate, it's all my fault, That's me. That's not God. But when I have a dream or a vision where a new order comes in view to a broken world or a broken system where things are going to be unsettled, but there's a new hope coming, well, that's worth pondering. I like in this passage of Scripture that Jacob questions Joseph's dream But after he questions Joseph's dream, the scripture tells us that he ponders that dream as Mary ponders the angel's words. A dream is worth paying attention to. But dreams unsettle things. And dreams can be scary because it means that everything is new, doesn't it? You know, I wondered as I read this passage this week, Why is it that we never hear of Joseph's fear? He should be afraid in chapter 37. His brothers attack him. They throw him into a pit. The Midianites come by and kidnap him. They then sell him to the Ishmaelites who sell him into slavery in Potiphar's house. 
Why does he never cry out? Why is he never afraid? Well, you may say, Joseph is naive. That may be true. You may say, Joseph is a dreamer, and that also may be true. But I wonder, I wonder if Jacob hasn't given Joseph a gift that he did not give his other children, but he gave it to Joseph, and that is a gift of identity. Joseph knows what it is to be cherished. Joseph knows what it is to be loved. He knows what it is to be the favorite. And I believe that that carries Joseph through this story. And I think that's an, such an important security to know that we are beloved, to know that we are cherished. Many of us have had that experience from our earthly families Uh, Maybe like Audrey said from grandparents or maybe in a classroom, we knew what it was like to be the favorite student. But for those of us who do not know that experience, I believe that God can work with that as well. Because I know that a concept can be best defined by its opposite, by an antonym. When I first graduated from seminary, I had a friend who also graduated from seminary at the same time, and he went to serve a Methodist congregation as an associate pastor as I came here. But we had two very different jobs. He went to a congregation where the congregation was wounded, the congregation was hurting, and they really had a rotten senior pastor, so he didn't have much of a mentor. And I came here to you wonderful people who encouraged me, even when I didn't deserve the encouragement, and to walk behind more than one really strong mentors. Well, my friend and I would talk on the phone during that year, and he would tell me, Dinah, you know what? I'm learning more faster than you are about what it is to be a good pastor. And that's true. He got it. He got it fast. And I'm still learning. (laughs) So often... We can understand what something is by its opposite, by its antonym. So if that's your experience, if you do not have an earthly experience of being the favorite, put that in front of the Holy Spirit and allow God to work with that definition and to teach you what it is to be cherished by good and perfect Heavenly Father. You know, I think this story would have been so different If Jacob had given each of his sons a coat made for royalty. I know the end of this book. I know the end of this story as you do too. The end of this story is different from Joseph's story. The end of the Bible, once we get through the gospel, First Peter tells us, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. That coat is for each of us. It's for all of our hearts, for all of our spirits. And I believe that that's the truth that we not only should walk into today and this week with our spirits, with our hearts, but I believe that's the truth that we live out as a community as well. And so at the end of this month, at the end of September, the end of the Joseph story, we are invited to bring one piece of special clothing that would make another person feel cherished. And we're going to gather up all those pieces of clothing, give them to the Hope Center, 
and then the Hope Center will give them to individuals who need to know what it is to be the favorite, who need to know what it is to be special. We are at our house talking about Halloween and what our children will dress up as for Halloween this year. In years past, my children have always selected a character or a profession that is highly esteemed by them. Last year, my youngest was uh, a jockey because he believes there would be no greater profession than to race horses. (laughs) But we've also had Dora the Explorer in our house and we've had many princesses. But I want you to know about the long-sleeved robe that Joseph wears and that we all wear as followers of Christ is that it's not a costume. It's not even for a special occasion. And it's not to be pulled out to keep us warm when it's cold. And instead, this coat is for everyday use. I'm wondering if you have yours on today. I hope you do.